Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 95. Steve Kloveski, who will be speaking at the Inside Outside Innovation Summit, is the Chief Executive Officer of Collective Campus based in Melbourne. Steve shared what the innovation ecosystem is like in the Asian Pacific part of the world, as well as some common pitfalls that corporations can fall into when asking their employees to innovate. He capped it off by telling Brian about important innovation in the legal services sphere, which his company is involved with. Get your ticket today for the IO Innovation Summit, May 29th through the 31st here in Lincoln, Nebraska, a hub of the Silicon Prairie. With plenty of opportunities to foster partnerships between startups and corporations, this summit is for everyone who wants to be part of the next big thing. Find out more at theiosummit.com and follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast. After spending about nine years uh, working for various corporates, um, I founded a web startup called Hotdesk, which was effectively um, like an Airbnb for office space. And that was about five, six years ago now, I, I would think. Um, and that was while I was working at Macquarie Bank. So I always tell uh, entrepreneurs who have a side hustle that, you know, you don't need to leave your job. Today, barriers to entry are so damn low that you can set something up on the side. You can diligently work towards building out your prototype, testing that, getting some early traction, some revenue. And then when the time is right, you can move on. Um, And in my case, um, I was working at Macquarie Bank full time and I put together um, a press release. And this was on the back of a little $2,000 you know, low fidelity prototype, sent that out to about 100 journalists. One of them happened to get back to me. And this happened to be a journalist from the Australian, which is one of uh, the country's largest uh, publications, you know, several hundred thousand uh, units of circulation. They published the article. It got picked up in the Macquarie News. So, of course, my manager at the time tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, what's this uh, hot desk stuff all about? And um, ultimately, I assured him that it was just a little side project, but that... (laughs) Uh, that article basically got the attention of a number of um, early stage investors. And three months later, I had raised some seed funding. Um, and that was my ticket to basically explore um, entrepreneurship for a couple of years and build that platform out to about 1,300 locations across Asia Pac. But ultimately, um, I had no interest in being what I, I call a glorified real estate agent. And what I did have an interest in was taking a lot of what I'd learned, building that platform out and applying it into the corporate world so other people who find themselves in that position of frustrated entrepreneur um, can actually do more with their time. Because large companies have so much, you know, they're flush oftentimes uh, with talent and right. oftentimes with resources too. But it's about how can we effectively unlock that so they can create more value and people can look forward to going to work every day. Well, I think you, you hit it on the head as far as a lot of times it's it's not necessarily people within the organization. It's the fact that they've been optimized to uh, work with an existing business model that may or may not be ready yeah. to be disrupted. And, and how do you actually uh, work through that particular area? You run a podcast as well called Future Squared, and mm-hmm. you've been doing that quite a long time as well. So you've seen a lot uh, in the past five, six, seven years uh, of what's going on in this space. And one of the things that's always attracted me to your content is the fact that you focus a lot both on inside and outside innovation. Again, this idea of you've got to fix and do and do things internally within your big organization, but you also have to look outside. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned as far as that yin and yang of uh, innovating with both inside and outside uh, resources? Sure. So to take a step back uh, with respect to uh, Collective Campus and some of the work we're doing, which touches on this point, 
at the moment, we're running a couple of uh, corporate uh, startup accelerator programs, uh, one with Village Digital and Microsoft, which is focusing on VR and AR startups looking to build entertainment tech solutions, and the other with Charter Hall, which is a, a large uh, property fund manager who's looking to partner with startups that can build property tech solutions. And ultimately, in these cases, these companies, while they are investing in the programs because they hope that there will be um, some you know, game-changing technology that comes out of it that they could either integrate into the mothership or that they can take a, a stake in. There's also the, the learning aspect that comes with it. So whether it's an accelerator program, whether it's a startup matching program, um, whether you're just going outside the building to, to work with academics, to, to work with different facets of society and see how different people think, ultimately it's about bringing different perspectives to the table. And it's about the whole Medici effect, right? So by bringing right. together diverse disciplines, you're going to come up with arguably better solutions than what you would if your view of the world was very narrow and painted by the same brush. If you're relying purely on people within the four walls of a, say, 500-person organization, everybody's had the same education, everybody's gone through the same sort of, climbed the same corporate ladder, then you're not going to get as many um, dots to connect, as I like to say, or as Steve Jobs said, you know, in his Stanford uh, address, when he basically said, "Look, you've got to collect the dots, and you can only connect the dots uh, looking backwards. You can't connect them looking yeah. forwards." So this whole concept of outside innovation is really about collecting more dots than you can internally, uh, and then start connecting them to bring something new to the world. So talk to me a little bit about uh, what you're seeing out in Asia Pacific, and and maybe how that's differing uh, around the world. Obviously, this you know startups are this craze is is, is worldwide. Corporate innovation, I think, is is a worldwide phenomena. What are some of the things that you're seeing? outside in Asia Pacific that may be a little bit different than what you've heard or seen outside in, in other areas in Europe or the United States? Yeah, so, I mean, Asia Pacific is an interesting area because you do have your more established uh, economies such as, say, Hong Kong uh, and Singapore, for example, where in, in the latter case, their economy, you know, you know the last couple of years, it's, it's been about it's been recording about 2% GDP growth, so kind of slow, the property market's slow. So Singapore's come from nothing in the past, say, 55 years to create what is the fourth largest financial hub in the world. But they want to maintain that dominance. You know, For a country of 5 million people, it's just an amazing, amazing story. And for people that don't know the backstory, I, I recommend checking it out. But they're now investing a lot of money into trying to uh, spur innovation locally. Literally every government department or agency you come across has a several hundred million dollar innovation fund that that they're pouring into startups, they're pouring into technology companies, they're trying to get uh, foreigners to move over there. And I know um, Scott Anthony from InnoSight's been living there for a number of years now as well. Um, and the thing about Singapore is it's also a great uh, hub for the rest of Southeast Asia. Now, the thing right. is the rest of Southeast Asia looks completely different in terms of your average uh, GDP, <laughs> uh, well, your average income per person across, say, Malaysia, um, Vietnam, the th Thailand is three hundred to four hundred dollars US per month versus Singapore, where it's your typical, um, you know, Western economy. So in those places, the innovations you're seeing are more around, say, unlocking non-consumption, because for so many years, uh, traditional, say, technologies were out of reach of people. Um, or traditional business models may have been out of reach of people in those parts of the world. But with technology, with things like blockchain, mobile payments, uh, micro lending, um, we're seeing new sort of new business model innovations appear in those parts of the world that perhaps wouldn't make as much sense in the West. Um, and it's this whole concept of reverse innovation, coming up with something, say, in developing economies, but then finding out a way to apply the same fundamentals of that in developed economies in a way that actually makes sense. But 
Southeast Asia, you're talking about 600 million people. So it's a massive market. And then you've got China where for so long, China just played copycat of what was happening in the States. But now I think there is a shift towards them actually being the creators. And I think we're going to see some really exciting stuff come out of China in the next um, five years. I would agree. I mean, I used to live in Hong Kong myself, and and uh, it's been quite a while. But uh, the the pace of change seems to be even faster and faster, and in, in, in an area that's always been fast. So uh, mm. it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. I was just going to say, so kind of switching gears, and that um, you're coming out here to uh, Nebraska here to the Inside Outside Innovation Summit. Uh, you're going to be talking about a couple different things. I think one of the areas we talked about potentially was talking about the you know the business case alternative and how do you support innovation in a large company in that. Yeah, definitely. So the business case alternative is something that uh, is relatively close to my heart. We published an ebook on um, this particular topic, which uh, your listeners can can download over at bit.ly forward slash bizcase ebook. Uh, that's biz with a B-I-Z. And basically this whole concept of the business case alternative, if you think about why a lot of innovation projects or why a lot of innovators get stifled in large organizations. It's usually because they need to complete a business case to get funding to explore a new idea. Um, And those business cases generally are tied to things like net present value projections, um, you know, internal rate of return, what's the payback period, how big is the market size, all that sort of stuff, which makes sense if you're operating in an established market where you can reliably answer those questions. But if you're exploring, say, disruptive innovation or something a little bit different, then you can't reliably predict um, what those numbers are going to look like. So you're left in a bit of a a quandary where you either don't submit a business case because you're like, well, the market doesn't exist yet or the market's really small, so this isn't going to get approved. Um, Two, you fudge the numbers, in which case you might be lucky enough to get some funding, but it will probably be pulled from you within, say, three months or six months of project go live because those numbers aren't being hit. And in some cases, you might put the legitimate numbers in and the company might support it. But after a few months, like something else has come up that's of a higher priority. So, you know what, this little innovation project over here, let's just pull the rug out from underneath that. So the business case alternative provides companies with, well, as the name suggests, an alternative to that process. (laughs) But it goes beyond, say, idea challenges. Because right now it seems like the default option for most organizations is let's run an idea challenge, let's collect hundreds of ideas, and then we'll have senior executives decide on maybe the three to five ideas that we'll put into a hackathon. And then maybe, maybe something will come out of that. Uh, More often than not, those campaigns really fail to put a, a theme or a strategic objective around the idea challenge, really fail to ask people to, you know, Think, really think about not just the idea, but the business model and the underlying assumptions of that business model. And how do you best go about testing those assumptions? Um, so, well, and also oftentimes kind of backfires on, on companies too, because they ask uh, employees or, or for feedback and, and, and you don't do anything with that feedback afterward. Uh, a lot of times it oh, backfires yeah. on, the, on the culture side as well. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Brian. What we see is companies will run an idea challenge and get, because there are no real sort of tight, um, definitions around the kind of ideas they're after. You'll get hundreds of ideas in some companies. But the problem there is it's almost impossible um, or most companies don't have the resources to really diligently right. review hundreds of ideas and therefore right. won't provide feedback 
to to idea submitters or will provide very generic feedback. So what happens the next time you run a program? Most people think, well, it's just innovation theater and we're not going to uh, spend our time um, on this. So it can be very harmful in the long term. Whereas with the business case alternative process, it's about empowering everybody across the organization to uh, test their ideas. And the way you do that is by applying a metered funding approach where you might uh, have an idea, but then you're asked to complete, say, a business model canvas. But not only business model canvas, you need to think about the assumptions um, across the distribution channel, the customer segments, the marketing channels, the you know problem solution, revenue model, and then find a way to prioritize those assumptions and effectively mm-hmm. test them. Now, your first test might be you need to validate the problem. And in order to do that, you get, say, $50, or maybe you get $0, because you can still test the problem with little to no money in some cases. Now, if you can define what those metrics of success look like and validate the problem is real with a particular customer segment, then perhaps you get a green tick and then you move on to the next tranche of funding, which may be, depending on the organization, another $100, maybe it's $1,000, maybe it's $5,000. It really depends on the size and scale of the organization and and how important innovation is in that particular organization. And I would argue it's very important in every organization. But really, it's about moving away from business cases where you might get fifty dollars to $100,000 to work on your idea. And then you have a steering committee, you have multiple heads on the bus, and things become complex. And it takes longer than it should to deliver a product and ultimately benefits realization becomes an afterthought or you take lots of small bets um, across hundreds of ideas and you've actually got data to back up whether or not an idea is worth investing on Um, and that data goes far above you know market research which is based on the past and it goes beyond what senior executives think and oftentimes senior executives while they're great at focusing on the core business, may not have had experience actually taking something new to the world and understanding the dynamics of disruptive innovation. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, you try to model as much as possible. And it gives you a, kind of a way to do that versus kind of the old school method where, you know, here's a million dollars in R&D, go figure it out, and then come back in, in 12 months after you've launched a product and figure it out that it doesn't work. So, yep. yeah, yep. I'm, I totally agree with, with the, the methodology that you're using right there. So talk to a little bit about, uh, we've talked about uh, the business case alternative. Are there, are there other things out there that, uh, that are top of mind in, in uh, what's going on either in your neck of the woods or in corporate innovation that you want to talk about here? Oh, look, there's, I mean, I don't want to, uh, to spend too much time talking about Collective Campus. and I don't want to come across as a, a sales guy on this show, Brian. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, going on. I mean, we're currently doing a bunch of stuff with Clifford Chance, one of the Magic Circle law firms. And what we're seeing amongst law firms is a need to really understand what's happening in the space. And what we're doing uh, for them is some global training on the topic of digital awareness, um, which really is all about, hey, what are these emerging technologies and how might they apply to the legal industry? Um, Whether it's blockchain, whether it's um, automation, uh, whether it's simple things like, uh, you know, off-the-shelf documents and how might that um, affect law firms. Um, It could be things like a shift to, say, fixed fees versus um, hourly billing um, or even incremental six-minute billing in in many cases. But I guess what we're seeing in the legal industry, like many other industries, is really the disruption is starting at at the bottom or it's, in fact, starting uh, in the area of non-consumption. I'm not sure what the numbers are in the States, Brian, but in Australia, about 90% of people can't afford you know, access to legal services except for the most basic things. Um, so by using, say, legal tech, 
tech, uh, we're finding that legal tech startups in particular are starting to unlock that non-consumption by taking out the costs of, you know, taking out the law, the partner costs, taking out right. the cost of expensive office space and everything else, but relying on technology to say, get 90% of the way there. And then you have a human focus on the last mile. You can bring down that cost of, of legal services significantly. And um, I guess it's something that law firms need to be wary of, particularly as these startups, as this technology gets better and starts to, you know, walk up market and starts to actually take some of the, uh, bigger clients work. Um, for the moment, it's non-consumption. It's going to start with uh, the lower end of the market. But as, as you as you no doubt know, Brian, over time, disruptive innovation does uh, move up market. And that's where the threat is for um, incumbents. And that's why they need to start thinking about it now and, and start putting in place some sort of a, an action plan. I would totally agree. And it's, it's, it's industry after industry after industry. It really, uh, you know, when we talk to corporations around here, it's a lot about the fact that, uh, you know, it'd be one thing if there was one technology that you had to worry about, but you've got, uh, you know, blockchain and, and uh, augmented reality and self-driving cars and all these new technologies are, in and of themselves are, are game changers, but yet they're all hitting at the same time. So how are you going to prepare for that? And uh, it's, you know, companies like Collective Campus and others that are out there kind of helping to try to navigate that. So we appreciate that quite a bit. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it's it's about them converging and all hitting at the same time. It's not about AI in isolation, but it's you know AI plus data plus the Internet of Things, and how does this all work together? And that's when you can get really powerful insights and make better decisions faster. And you know, if you're not making good decisions or or decisions as fast as your competitors are because they're leveraging all the latest you know, shiny technology, then you might find yourself behind very quickly. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard and want more, head over to theiosummit.com to buy your ticket today for the summit where Steve Glaveski is just one of an incredible lineup of speakers. Until next time, go out and innovate.